The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. today we will be in Ephesians chapter 2 Ephesians chapter 2 just a reminder as we've said we are kind of taking a time out the next three or four weeks as we go through the five solos of the Reformation we are not here to worship venerate or put on a pedestal any man named Martin Luther or any of the Puritans or the old dead guys as we call them but we do want to remind ourselves of the things that many of them literally gave their lives for Our Savior gave his life ultimately for us once and for all. Amen? You know that. But men and women before us gave their lives even so you could partake in what we see as a simple routine as the Lord's Supper. When holding such a view in those days might have your head off if you're under Bloody Mary or whatever else. But we looked at last week as kind of a a kick into Hebrews 11. We looked at sola fide, faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. You bring nothing to the table. It is by simple belief. And justifying faith that God grants you. My wife pointed that out last week. You didn't mention that, that God grants you the faith. That is very true. We'll look at that a little bit more detailedly in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But we also are looking at sola gratia today, by grace alone. And next week, we will look at uh, sola de gloria. And I have one of our former guys in view here, uh, Aaron Stevens, one of our former seminary guys is here. And uh, he preached on this, brother, five years ago. Oh, how life has changed for you in five years, Aaron. You've grown a beard since then, I'm sure. After that, in three weeks, uh, Pastor Nelson will be preaching on Scripture alone. And uh, then Brother Willie, one of our newer members, will be preaching on Brother in Christ alone. i got to get this straight. I apparently messed it up last week in a sign. Anyway, you got it all, right? You got it all figured out. Well, if you're able to stand this morning, would you join us in standing in honor of God's Word? Uh, If you're new to Tower View, you do get your exercise here. You get your downs and your ups. I'm sure that's an official movement somewhere in some exercise uh, thing. But we do it because it's God's Word. If you have your Bible with you, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, by grace alone today. These are very familiar words to you, but I pray they encourage you, pray they shore you up in truth you know, and if you need to know them today, if you don't know Christ, that you would come to know the grace of God in Christ. And Paul writing, the context here, if you remember chapter 1, he gave the prayer that's really one big long sentence in the Greek where he's just expounding on who God is, especially in his sovereignty and salvation. But really the whole book, just like the book of Romans, is to take two opposing people, the Gentiles and the Jews, and get them to play nice in the sandbox together. Does that make sense? And so he's writing this in chapter 2, to frame for them that they are now one in Christ. But to do that, he's got to lay them low, and he's got to bring them back up because of what Christ has done. That's the context. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among, verse 3, whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were to nature, by nature rather, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you're an underliner, these next two words are probably gold. They are gold. Underline them, highlight them, do whatever. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And you know these words well, don't you? For by grace, if you know it, read it out loud with me. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest or so that any man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? And uh, let's go through these great truths. I don't know what you have faced this week in your life. I don't know what you're facing in your family, in your job, in your future, whatever it is. But I pray today, if there's any hope we can give you once again, it is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And if you're sick of hearing about Jesus, just uh, kind of pinch yourself and God will wake you up. Because it's worth knowing more and more about what he's done for us. Because when we get to heaven, this is what it's all going to be about. Recounting the glories of our Savior over and over and over. I don't know about the gold streets, but I know about the Savior who will be there. That's all we got. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you so much, once again, for you just being you, that we were dead and you made us alive. We were far off and you drew us near. We weren't even in the equation, yet you brought us into the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given to us in Jesus. May we not be sleepy saints on the great truths that so many have longed for, died for, and suffered for. Father, may these just reinvigorate by your spirit and your grace what you have fashioned in our hearts. We thank you so much for salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen. may be seated. Well, I thought of Brother Dave on this. Uh, We have two days. This is Dave Edmonds. But I thought of Brother Dave because he always counts how many sports references I have in a sermon. So, Dave, let's chalk it up for one, right? Uh, Chalk it up for one more. Many of you are alive in this era of football, but this is Mike Ditka. You know the great Chicago Bears guy. He He had a gruffy voice, and I think he does commentary now. But after he was being fired as the coach of the Chicago Bears, Mike Ditka was asked how he felt. And, and being a religious man, as I'm sure he is, he quoted scripture that said, this too shall pass. And he choked up thinking how he led them only to five wins during the season. And he said it again. He said, this too shall pass. And he fumbled. And when they asked him where that was in the Bible, he said, I don't know. And that's true because this too shall pass. Guess what? is not in the Bible. Did you know that? Here's some other phrases that are not in the Bible. You ready for this? Spare the rod, spoil the child. That sounds good. God works in what? Mysterious ways. That's not in the Bible. Cleanliness. Now, this is a parental thing. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, Oprah chapter 1 verse 1 says, Yea, verily, God wants you to be happy, or something like that. Or is that Joel Osteen? And if you work hard enough, you will be successful. Second Job chapter 4, verse 4. These are things that are not in the Bible. But Mike Ditka, the great man of faith that he was, this is an actual picture of him being asked the question, by the way. When he asked, he didn't have a phrase that was in the Bible. And when we come to the study of grace alone, I want to tell you, we're going to have a Mike Ditka moment for just a second. Not that we're fumbling over the words of Scripture, but the phrase grace alone is not found within the Bible itself. You say, huh? I thought, where did they get this from? Well, when Martin Luther came on the scene, and Amy, if you want to go one slide up, when Martin Luther came on the scene, he said, he didn't say this, but you remember he took a little thing. He nailed it to the door. And the silly thing I put up here says, I don't always nail things to the door, but when I do, stuff happens. 
you all need to know your history, right? What happened? He took 95 complaints against the Catholic Church and he nailed it to the door, unknowingly setting off reverberations like a, a, a rock in a pond sending out ripples. And through that, people came to know this phrase, grace alone. But I want to tell you that phrase alone is not in the scripture. Do you know also the word Trinity is not in the scripture? But we believe there's one God in three persons, aren't there? There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll give Mike Ditka a little bit of grace being a gruff football guy. But for the rest of us, we hang on to this phrase, grace alone. Because guess what? If you don't have grace, you're left alone. Because God isn't giving you no other way to get to heaven except through him. And that is what the scripture says we're to do. And Amy, if you want to put up the scripture for us, this phrase grace alone is a reminder to us as first Timothy is Paul writing to him. He said to him, keep watch or close watch on yourself and on your teaching and persist in it. For by doing so, you save both your hearers and yourself. This last week in preparation for some meetings, I, I listened to a, a, a local man whose name I will not say from the pulpit. But uh, this man was teaching things that were contrary to Scripture. And one of the biggest things that he said is, as long as you're sincere enough, as long as you try hard enough, as long as you have enough faith, I'll see you in heaven someday. Do you see how easily when we slip out of trusting that it's by God's grace through faith alone that we're saved, we can get off the beaten path? Don't let your feelings inform your faith. Make sure your doctrine informs your feelings because shallow theology always refer, always brings about shallow churches and shallow preaching. But the deeper we go into what the Bible says, the deeper the preaching, the deeper our faith, the deeper our love for each other, the deeper our love for God mainly, the deeper our praises. And this is why we're spending time today going over this again because just a little bit of room you give someone and they will find an idol. They don't want their deeds exposed, John 3 said, because they know when their deeds are exposed, they're accountable for it all. So this morning, the big idea is simply this. If you're visiting with us, the big idea is simply the overview of the sermon, the the thesis of it, is that be thankful for grace and grace alone that's covered your past, that has empowered your future, empowers you rather, and protects your present and guarantees your future. Look, Christianity offers a very unique view of salvation. We are saved by God's sheer grace and Christ's work, not of our own. It is a finished salvation, is received, it is not achieved. And that is a big difference. The busyness and noise and all the crowds of this world will try to tell you it's by yourself and your bootstraps and pulling yourself up. Don't believe it. You know, this pastor also said that I read this week, who's a local guy, pretty prominent guy. He said, uh, he said, you know, I have a feeling someday that all the world religions will get to heaven and they'll look up and see Jesus and say, ah, it was you who I was pursuing. Now I know. And he said, Jesus has already died for them and they're covered in his blood. And I have a hunch that there will be more of those people like them in heaven than we believe. Friends, in our well-meaningness, we can miss Christ's likeness. You believe if you come to this church, you ought to believe if you come to this church, because the Bible says we have one way to heaven. It is not through Muhammad or Krishna or Buddha or whoever. It is through Christ by his grace alone. It gets really real, really fast with that in tow. With that in mind, we want to answer three questions today. What were we? What did God, what God did and why God did it? Keep your Bible open. I pray you'll take notes. If you're taking notes, they're inside your bulletin. And uh, you can see that there. And and I want to start with what we were. What we were. 
What happened to us before Christ? What were we? What were we outside of Jesus? If you know someone, if you have a a child or a grandchild or a grown adult from whatever, people who don't know Jesus, what are they? What were we? Well, the first thing he tells us there is that we once lived as sons of disobedience. We once lived as people far away. So what did God do? What did he accomplish? Before we get the good news, we need to see the bad news. Because if we don't know how bad it was, we won't know how good we have it. Some of you grew up in a generation where if you just had a few extra coins, you felt rich, right? You went through a time and a place where you didn't have a lot and then just to have something. But we were dead in our sins. And I'm going to give you six words here that prove this. The first word is dead. We were dead. And he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And down through the centuries, different Bible teachers have tried to do this in different ways. There was Pelagius who said, well, we're good. We're actually pretty well. We're born pretty decent. That didn't sound like any school teaching today you hear. And there are others who said, well, we weren't good. We were just sick and we needed just a little bit of help to get back to health. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? Look back at verse 1. It says, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your sins. That's the only option. You were dead. You were dead in your ability to choose God. There was no spiritual life in you. You couldn't think for yourself spiritually. You had no desire for God. You had no mind that wanted God. And you were dead. If you're dead, you are unresponsive. You have no desire. You have no ability. I remember in seminary, someone asked, they said, what can a dead man do? Well, that's a good question. And someone at that point who was in the class said, well, uh, uh, you know, maybe that man's just sick. Maybe he's not really dead. Maybe he's just sick. And it became, there was just that deathly silence in class, like if the man's dead, he's not sick, right? And then so the, the, the teacher asked again, what can a dead man do? And from the back row, a student yelled, he just stinks, right? He just stinks. That's what dead people do. They stink. Even if you grew up in church, even if you joined a church, even if you were baptized as a baby or an adult, you can walk up to a corpse, you can poke it in the, in, in, in the foot with a pen, you can sing to it, you can play music to it, you can put on a movie for it, you can dance and do it. You, you, know, you can get your Baptist uh, jig going on, you can do all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, that person who's dead is dead. So why do we try and make people alive who are not alive outside of Jesus Christ? Well, surely people were born good. Surely we weren't dead. I mean, surely that's what he's saying. Look, he's writing to Christians. You might even say here in verse 1 that you could say you elect believers. You real Christians. You were dead in your sins. But friends, we live in a world of sin, and dead means dead. That means you did not have the potential to choose Jesus outside of God's grace awakening you to choose Jesus. All right, you ready to stir the waters today? Did you choose God or did God choose you? The answer, Pastor Nelson, is yes. yes. God in his sovereignty chose you before eternity passed. That's a good Baptist doctrine of sovereignty. But God also gave you the grace to choose him. But outside of him choosing you, you would not have chose him. You'd have chose the opposite. You were dead. But look at verse 2. We were also deviant. We were also deviant. First part of verse 2 there. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. What is he saying? And of course, you are walking. It's your manner of life. We're called in other scriptures to walk in a manner pleasing of God. Notice he doesn't say run. And as a runner, I take offense to that, right? But he says to walk. 
It's just your normal gait. It's just what you do. You're just going about life. You're just walking through life. But he says, you walked according to the course of this world. You were a dead man walking. You were a spiritual dead person. You were a walking corpse. And when he says there, according to the course of this world, he means that broad path that was leading to destruction. When he says the world, he's talking about all the world's evil ideologies. We followed the world. We went after the world. We did things of the world, but we didn't know any better, did we? We just knew what was in front of us. And when you were born in this world, you weren't born into the kingdom of God. Remember, there are so many people who teach that just because you are born, you're a child of God. No, you're a child of God only in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that. But we were like a dead body floating downstream. You know, as a kid, if you ever put something in a stream and you wanted to see how far it went, you're dead. And you're just floating wherever the river takes you. There's nothing you can do. We were dead. We were deviant. Second part of verse 2 says we were devilish. Pastor, are you really telling church people they were devilish? Such we all were before Christ. He says, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's he talking about here? I think you know who this is. It's Satan himself. There are only two families that we can be a part of. You can be of the family of God or the family of the devil. And there's not a third or fourth option. Sorry, you can't be adopted in anywhere else. And this is a reminder of what uh, John 8 said when Jesus preached to the Jews. He looked at them in John 8 and he said, you are of uh, your father, the devil. And what did they do? They took up stones. No, they didn't take up stones. They wanted to hug him, right? Because he was preaching such nice truth. No, they took up stones to stone him. Look, if you were not born, uh, if you were born in this world, we were born into the family of Satan. Now, that sounds so crazy. That's so different. You are not born. Don't believe what every public school teaches you. And this is not a, a, a thing just to get in private school. Please hear me. God can use people even in public schools. But you need to know this. You are not born, young people, with a clean slate. You are not born good. You are born evil and wicked. And so was I. All of us B.C. before Christ were this way. You were dead. You walked according to the course of this world. You were a child of the devil. Well, this will really bring him in, Pastor. Way to have high attendance Sunday with this stuff. But the great reminder is, is that while we were yet sinners, Christ opened our eyes. We're getting there. We're plowing the ground. But we were devilish. We followed him. And and indeed, 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says, we were held captive by the devil to do his will. Look at the end of verse 2. He says that fourthly, we were disobedient. He says, not only did we follow the course of this world, we followed the devil. But finally, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. That word there is in the plural. It is men and women. It's not just ladies. This is not your out. This is not just the sons of disobedience. This is all men, all women, all everywhere. We were devilish. We were disobedient. But everyone who's ever been unconverted is disobedient. Disobedient how? Because we have not followed Christ. It's a mark of an unbeliever is how they live their lives. But notice fifthly, and that's a short point, but notice fifthly there, he says we are defiled. Look at the, look at the start of verse 3. He says, among them. Among whom? Among whom we all once lived. Among whom? We were defiled. What do you, how do you get that out of there, Pastor? Well, remember, we're floating down a river. We're dead in our sins. We're under the control of the devil and the world. We were just like them. Now, you may dress up a little bit nicer. You may have put on your best suit when they threw you in the river dead. I don't know. It harkens back to where's Jimmy Hoffa, right? Like, where's the, where's these mob guys? 
They're best dressed. But God sees, as God looks at the heart, he sees exactly who we are. We can dress ourselves up. We can make up ourselves up. But he says among them, we, the elect, we, the Christians, all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh. We walked according to this world. That's why a lot of things have gone out of vogue in churches today, but one of them is actually calling a spade a spade. We have real sin. We really upset a holy God. Why don't we teach this stuff anymore? Can I tell you why? I don't like it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Doesn't it make you feel uncomfortable? I don't want to talk about the bad stuff. Just give me the good stuff, right? Don't tell me if I start an exercise program, it's going to feel like I'm climbing Mount Everest without an oxygen tank, but at some point you're going to, it's going to get easier. Don't tell me that stuff. Don't tell, doctor, I don't want to know I have cancer. Just tell me it's going to be okay. Any other profession, if a doctor, if, if, if someone knows something's wrong, if a mechanic knows something's wrong with your car and sends you off to drive with that car anyway, guess who's going to be held liable if that something happens to you? They will be. We would have pastoral malpractice if we did not tell you these truths. We lay the ground because we know that we have been defiled like the rest of We indulged in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And so strong were those desires, they overwhelmed and overpowered us. To what end? Well, he tells you at the very end of verse 3. We were doomed. We were doomed. He says, Among whom, carrying on the desires of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What does that mean, by nature? Well, it means it's, it's a euphemism. It's a Hebrewism. That it's a Hebrewism for children deserving wrath. We were sons of disobedience. We were children under wrath. We were, as Romans 1.18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that's where we once were. We were just as doomed. We were just as dead, deviant, devilish, and disobedient. We may have dressed it up differently, but when God looks at us, he sees nothing but a need of a Savior. Do you know in most modern-day gospel presentations, sin is completely removed from the equation? If you buy most gospel tracts today, seriously, go look on American Tract Society, ATS, if you want real-life proof. I know because I just ordered some a couple weeks ago, not from them, but from John MacArthur's church, which, anyway, it's a long story. But it's good. They're, they're, they're much cheaper and much more because they have God, Christ, man response. Most gospel tracts will just say, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Church, let's be, wake back up with me if you've fallen asleep. Does Jesus love you? Yes. Amen? Amen? Does he have a wonderful plan for your life? Amen, he does. But to get to that point, to tell people, it's just all roses and rose petals, and you're going to be walking, oh, it's like one of those Hollywood Hallmark movies where nothing bad can ever happen, and everything goes so well. I don't know about you, that's not my Christian life, and that's not your Christian life. Why have we taken away what we were out of the presentation of the gospel? Because we fear man more than we fear God. If we fear God, we are willing to tell men and women, young or old, whatever they are, there is this is you, as it was me. And the result of that is your destruction. Children of wrath. That literally means that we are, we are destined outside of Christ for the worst judgment that falls upon us. 
He who has a son has life. John 3 says, he who does not have the son, the wrath of God remains or abides upon him. We were going to hell, strutting like a peacock, but God pulled us out. That's what we're getting to. That's what we were. Are you ready for some good news? Amen? Amen. Let's see what God did. Look at verse 4. This is what God did. I told you as we read it to underline these, if you would, but God. I've quoted this several times this week. You heard me say it. It's a wonderful quote. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Praise God for the butts of the Bible. Not the B-U-T-T-S butts. Not not the butts in the seats, but the B-U-T-S butts. Does that make sense? This is what you were, but this is what God did for you. Because of what God did for us is unimaginable, we now have this phrase here, but God. And please note here in verse 4, as we work our way down to verse 7, that it is not but God and me. It's not but God and you. It's not but God and us, but God and the church, but God and this, or God and that. It is but God and God alone. Look back at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us. What an amazing God. It is all based on him. That's why, though so many years ago, when Martin Luther looked out around the churches around him, it was pay a little money here. A coin in the the coffer rings, a, a soul from purgatory springs is what they used to say. If you ever wondered what happened to your, 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 your uh, family members who passed away, well, just pay a little bit of money, and I'll guarantee you they'll be right up to heaven in a jiffy. Man, what have we made our religion? But it's God and God alone. And he was rich in mercy. He was immeasurably wealthy. You are wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. You are richly blessed with mercy. And I want to go over this quickly. What is mercy? Mercy is if I give you my car, my new Lamborghini, a million dollar car that Natalie and I are saving to buy someday, right? We're getting there. It uh, might be after we pass, but we're, we're going to get there someday. And I give you that car and you drive that car down 435 and you just ram it and you crash it. And you call me up and say, Pastor, I'm sorry, I crashed that million dollar car. Mercy is going to be I love you. I'm glad you're safe. We're good. That's mercy. Grace is when I look at you and say, oh, I have another million dollar car. It's in the bus barn out here. All our guys didn't know we have a million dollar. No, we don't. But I give you another car and you say, really, I can drive it again? Yes. And you go down 430 and you crash. And I look at you and I say, I'm glad you're safe. I love you. We're okay. You know what grace is? It's giving you more than you deserve. You know what mercy is? It's just being okay and making it okay right at the start. But in Christ, God has given you both. He gave you mercy. He not only made it okay, but he immeasurably laid upon everything else that he did not have to do. What an awesome God. And he goes on in verse 6. Verse 5, excuse me. He says, even when we were dead in our sins. You remember that? You were dead in your sins. You were dead, devilish, disobedient, defiant, doomed, all those things. But it says, notice in verse, uh, verses 5 and 6, you'll notice these phrases. You'll see with him, with him, with Christ. You see that repeated? And so he's going to give you three things. This is in your notes. He'll give you three things that he's done for you. What has God done? He's raised you up with Christ. He's seated you with Christ. This will be on the screen in a minute. And he made us alive in Christ. I want to go through these very quickly. 
because these are worth our time to go through. All three of these are very important because they parallel for us the resurrection, the ascension, and the enthronement of Christ. First, he made us alive, verse 5. It says, and even while you were dead in your trespasses, he, quote, made us alive together by grace you have been saved. And I want you to know, Paul is a Daniel Webster of his day. Uh, many all you have to, many all of an age and generation where you couldn't just look up a word on the, the computer. You had to actually go to the dictionary and look it up. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, may God help you as you remember those days. It's a joke. But you know it was hard. You had to look things up. And some words were different. Well, Paul here is coining a new word. It's what you might call a compound word. He's taking basically three words and putting it together. Where it says there in your Bible, made alive together, is just one word in the original Greek that he made to do it. But for us, it's five words. And what it means is, is that Christ has raised out of the grave. He's literally come back from the grave. And if you're under, can I just be honest with you? If you know of someone or have someone or or you know of a Christian who wants to go to a church who doesn't believe in the resurrection, you hang on to their heels until they cannot move. You tackle them, you chain them down, maybe not literally, but you do it to not let them go. Because as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too have been made alive in Christ. If you don't believe Jesus literally came back from the dead, how can you believe you are spiritually alive in Jesus Christ? You can't have one be symbolic. Well, maybe Jesus did raise from the dead. I don't really know. I hope it's true. But yeah, I'm alive in Christ. You can't have one without the other. In other words, justification simply changes your status. You are spiritually dead, but now in Christ, you're alive. It's unbelievable stuff. It just changes your status. You're standing before God. You're no longer condemned. You're now accepted by God. You're clothed in his righteousness. And guess what you did? And I did. Absolutely nothing. Wow. He made you alive. Just as when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth because you're a really good guy and you went to church a lot and you gave me a meal one time. Lazarus, because of all those things, come forth. Lazarus was dead as a doornail. You could speak to him in pig Latin. You could sing to him in Spanish. You could dance to the latest jig before him. But Lazarus is D-E-A-D, dead. It took the calling voice of God himself to say, Lazarus, you remember the story, don't you? Come forth. And he did. Friends, you were made alive only because God opened your heart to believe the message. And that's what we know to be true. But he also raised us up. Notice verse 6. He raised us up. By raising us up, it says in verse 6, he raised us up with him. Stop right there. He raised us up. So not only did he call you forth, not only did he bring you up, you were spiritually ascended. If made alive is a comparison of Christ's resurrection to our own, raised us up is a comparison of Christ being raised up in Acts 1 to, to ascend back to the Father at the right hand, so us being raised up. It's another compound word. It's not speaking of the resurrection of Christ, nor it's referring to the ascension of Christ. Christ was lifted up out of the world. And what it means for you and for me is that we've been resurrected with Christ by grace alone, And we've been raised up in the sense of ascending with Christ. We're no longer part of this world. We live here, but our status, our wealth, our inheritance is all in him up yonder, wherever that is. 
And we are no longer walking or shouldn't be walking in the course of this world. So because of Christ, our citizenship, Philippians 3, is now in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior. When's he coming again? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. I don't know any more than you know, other than that we are waiting for him eagerly. And then he ends there. He says, you've been seated with him. The end of verse 6, seated with him. Now remember, Christ was resurrected, made alive. He was was raised up. He ascended to heaven. So we've been raised up spiritually. Our inheritance is in heaven. That's what God's done for us. But finally, we are seated with him. Every king everywhere has to be seated. That's their power of authority. It's another compound word, one word that Paul packs with meaning. It It doesn't mean we have become little gods. It doesn't mean, as Kenneth Copeland will teach you, that you can become a god if you just send in the right amount of money over time. He'll give you the ability to become a god. It doesn't mean Mormon theology that you will be a perpetual god, guys, of your own little spirit world, and you'll make spirit babies and and just continue the process of progressive eternalism that is Mormon doctrine. It doesn't mean that you are any more better off except what God has given you. He's in charge. We just get to ride along the coattails for free. What it means is for us to be seated with Christ is that we now know the Father. We now have access to God the Father. We now have an intimate relationship with the Father. And like Romans 8 says, we can cry, Abba, Father, this is what God did for you. You don't have to go through a Father, lowercase f, to be heard in your prayers. You don't have to confess your sins to a lowercase f, Father, for your sins to be forgiven. We don't have a confessional off, the, off here in the flower room somewhere hidden that you would be saved. Because he's made us alive, raised us up, and seated us with him, we can be saved. That's what God did for you. Lastly, I want you to see why God did this. Why did he do this? He didn't have to, but why did he do it? Look back at verse 7. Down to verse 10. He did this so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice what's happening here. Your Bible will probably have in verse 7 the phrase, so that, so that. Verse 9, so that. Verse 10 probably has something along those lines, so that. What's he saying? Paul tells us that God did not leave us in the grave of sin. Why? Because he says that he could show us who he is. The first thing he does, and Amy will put this up, is he did this for you because it magnifies his grace. It magnifies his grace. If God simply saved good people, people that were a little bit better than other people, then what God did in his grace really is nothing significant. But for God to reach all the way to the bottom of the barrel, for God to reach all the way to where we were outside of him, and to raise us up a stinking rotten corpse with the stench of hell upon it, and to grab us up, to make us alive, to raise us up, to seat us with him, that is unimaginable grace on grace. Listen, if we would elevate man, if we'd lower God, grace is just a step away from missing out on what it is. And I want to tell you something today. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. I pray, Lord willing, if you're able to be here, you can be here for that. Because I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. What we've just preached, you know well. But even coming to the Lord's table 
and expressing that through taking the supper together. People died for that because they believed that it was by God's grace alone and not the Lord's Supper that saved them. We do not, we are not, I'm just going to say it because I'm young and a dumb preacher, and here it is. You ready? We are not, we are not spiritual man-eaters. We do not believe, as some believe, that when that blood and, and bread come across juice, that it's literally Jesus. We are not spiritual cannibals. And do you know back in a certain day, even within the last 200 years in some places, if you believe that the Lord's Supper was not literally the body of Christ or literally the blood of Christ, and you believe what we just heard, it's all by grace representing what Christ did, you would be killed. Or if not you being killed, your, your family might, and you might be thrown in jail. Christians in Tower View family, I know you know these truths well, but as we partake of these things, may we never forget what Christ has done for us because in him, grace has been magnified. But I want you to notice lastly that it humbles man. Why did God do this? Number two, it humbles man. Verse eight tells us why. For by grace, it's not us. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. For by grace, that word saved there means to be snatched out from ruin means to be delivered from destruction and the question is what's not of ourselves well for by grace was not of ourselves and the faith was not of ourselves we didn't will this up we didn't get in a religious frenzy and somehow become more spiritual and see grace by faith guys it is all a gift look i'm just going to say it God did not look down through time and see that you were going to choose him and therefore he chose you. What were we? We were dead. And if you need those six D words again, go back and look at your notes, right? That's what we were. God did not get his telescope out and say, whoa, there's some Christians over there. I'm going to save them because they're going to follow me in. Whoa, definitely not going to save those guys. It's not how he works. He humbles us to remind us it is a gift that he gives us. And if we want to be technical about it, the antecedent is closest to the gift of God or uh, to the word it, it would be faith. It would be even that the faith is the gift of God before it began. It would even be grace. In the Greek, it's a little bit different than how you read it in your English. By grace through faith, you believe by grace alone. If God saved good people, if God could save any people, then verse 9 would not be necessary. He says it's not a result of works that no man may boast. We have nothing to bring to the table. So why did he do it? He did it because it magnifies his grace. It humbles us. But verse 10, as we close, he says in verse 10, why did he do this for us? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Time out. Do your works go before your faith or do your faith go before your works? Stop. Just stop. for. I mean, we're, we're going to put our classroom hats on for a second. Let me say it again. Do your good works go before your faith or does your faith go before your good works? Let me give you 10 seconds to think about that. Do, 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 do. That is a question that ultimately has separated people from coming to know Jesus Christ. 
If you believe that you can work before you have faith, you do not have the faith that the Bible says saves you. You must be saved by faith alone that results in good works that come out of that faith. That may not blow some of your minds because you've heard that before. You are saved by works, aren't you? Not your works, his work, once and for all nailed to that cross. So when it says you are prepared for good works, notice that nine verses precede that. Because of his grace, we have good works that God prepared you beforehand. Christian, your whole life is to be about spreading the grace of God to all people everywhere. Even to the ends of the earth, brothers and sister, who are going far, far away. We are his workmanship that we should walk in them. What does this do for us, Amy? If you will, just put those three up. This should bring you great humility today. A reminder of what God has done for you should humble us, should keep us grateful, and keep the peacock feathers back in bay. Like one of those Japanese uh, fans that you fan out, you know, Asian fans. God just takes that and says, get back in your place. But more so, it should elevate the holiness of God. Who do we think we are to walk into God's presence and say, God, I got this. I saved myself. Oh, yeah. Try that on Judgment Day and see how that works for you, right? But it should also lead to greater honor. Lord, because you've done this for me, I just want to live my life for you. And I want my family, I want my church, I want my neighbors, I want whatever it is to be honored by you. That is the God we serve. Friends, you are not saved by anything else but faith alone, by God's grace alone. All for his pleasure. Will you bow your heads with me as we close today?